God, we thank you so much for your word. Um, Lord, we're so grateful that you speak to us. God, we're so grateful that we don't have to come up with ways to honor you on our own. God, we're so grateful that we don't have to try to navigate uh, all the hard things about life on our own, God, but you've spoken to us in your word. God, so we pray you'd speak to us now, God. And Father, we pray you'd make clear to us how, how weak we are uh, and how strong you are. So uh, about a month ago, three weeks ago, we were in this uh, short series uh, called You Are, where we were talking about some different things about uh, our identities. Uh, So we talked about uh, different things that God has made us uh, since we've become his. And a lot of those things were connected to our relationships with each other, right? So we talked about the fact that uh, we are teachers, we are counselors, we are givers, a lot of things that had to do with how we interact with one another. And I want to pick up on another thing that I think God tells us about ourselves uh, in Scripture, though this one has to do with uh, who we are in relation to God, and it'll affect the way that, of course, we we interact with each other. And and that thing I want to talk about this week is that uh, you are weak, but strong. Uh, You're weak, but strong. One of the very interesting things about the Bible that I love to see all the time is there's so many realities uh, that seem like their intention, that seem like maybe they contradict each other. If you uh, listen to Jesus talk, especially in parables, uh, sometimes you'll be like, Jesus, what you said uh, sounded like a nice turn of phrase, but I don't know what you mean, right? When he'll say stuff like, hey, if you want to gain your life, you need to lose it. Imagine what people were thinking. They were like, okay, if I want to gain it, I do want to gain it, but I need to lose it. Do I want to lose it, right? There's so many things like that in Scripture where where there will be these kind of tensions between each other. And one of those, I think, is is what we're going to look at that Paul says in 2 Corinthians where he's talking about us being weak uh, but strong. Where He he says to kind of sum up the passage at the end, when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, And that's an interesting way to put that. I wonder if you ever think of yourself as weak. Do you ever think of yourself as weak? I want to just look at the definition of weak. And you you can think about this. We're going to put it up there. Uh, weak. Definition says not strong. Thank you. That was obvious. Not strong. Liable to yield, break, or collapse under pressure or strain. Fragile or frail. Second one, lacking in bodily strength, a healthy vigor as from age or sickness. Feeble and firm. We know what weak means, right? Weak is lacking strength. It's talking about bending under pressure. You know, it can't hold something up. It's, It's weak. And nobody really likes to be weak. No one loves the, the concept of weakness. It's not something that we celebrate often. I mean, uh, when was the last time you saw a superhero movie where the main character, the hero, was weak? That's not something we see, right? We, we see uh, heroes that are strong, and they win, and they're victorious because of their strength. And maybe they go through some things because at the beginning of every superhero thing, you got to have because it's very strange that so they got to give this origin story to try to make it make sense even though it doesn't. So you see weaknesses. But at the end of the day, we like them because they're strong. We don't like to be weak. Uh, I remember when I was in middle school, um, maybe it was seventh or eighth grade, and so in PE, we were going to the to the weight room to lift weights, even though we were weak middle schoolers. But we would go, and there was this one kid who just really so badly wanted to be the big, strong, uh, bad guy, right? And so me and him didn't get along that well, but I was, you know, I... I 
I, I wasn't the type of dude to, to get in fights. So I was like, you just do you. And so one day um, we were in the weight room and I felt like the Lord was looking out for me because um, he, you know, he wanted to show how strong he was. So he got up under the bench press and he was just like putting weights, a whole bunch of them on both sides. It's a 45 and a, I'm like, bro, I don't know if you can do that. He's like, I got this. Just putting stuff on him. And so he gets up under the, and, and he's getting everybody's attention because he wants everybody to watch this incredible display of strength that's about to happen. And so he gets up under the bar, right, and he, and he begins to, to, to try to uh, lift it. And so he does, like, barely get it up. And by the time he gets it up, I'm like, bro, you ain't going to make it to 10. You ain't going to make it to 3, right? So he gets it up, and as he starts to bring it down, it, like, falls on one side. And you know what happens, because then that falls out, and then this one is way, and he just looked ridiculous. But it fell after it had, like, fallen on his chest, and he was gasping for breath, and, um, I didn't know if he was okay, but in my sinful heart, I, uh, I slightly enjoyed it. I was like, all right, bro. Uh, but what happened was he wanted to do an incredible thing that would show off how strong he was. And instead, what ended up happening was he ended up looking weak. None of us like to look weak. We want to look strong. Strength is something we desire. And there are good reasons that we desire strength. Because we need strength to do every single thing that we do. Right. We need uh, physical strength to make it through the work week. Right. We got to go to work and we need strength to be able to get through it. Right. We, we need uh, mental strength to pay attention as we sing songs and as we listen to God's word preached. Right. You, you, you need strength to, to make it through any and everything. You, you need a kind of emotional strength to make it through relationships and, and difficult conflict. Right. You, you need a kind of uh, disciplined strength to read God's word. You need supernatural strength to live with toddlers. We need strength for everything. Everything that we do requires strength. So, so it's not strange that strength is something that we like and that it's something that we value. But here's the very interesting thing. Despite that, the Bible tells us that we're weak. And when the Bible tells us that we're weak, it doesn't only treat it as a negative thing, which is interesting. Since we need it for everything. So we have to grapple with what that means, how strength and weakness uh, uh, go together. I mean, when you think about some of the things you need strength uh, for, uh, or things we're too weak to do, you know, we're too weak to control everything in our lives, right? We're, we're too weak to make sure we always have the job we want. We're too weak to keep our friends from ever making bad decisions. We're too weak to have perfect relationships. We're, we're too weak to, to get up. Uh, without our alarm clock, right? We're, we're too weak to, to make it through the work day. We're, we're too weak to follow Jesus on our own. We're too weak to kind of have the joy that we always want. We're, we're too weak to, uh, to make sure and ensure that the president we want ends up in the, ends up in the White House. I mean, we're, we're weak. We're not in control of everything, right? And, and the Bible tells us this all the time. So with all these kinds of weakness that we suffer from, spiritually broken, we're, we're physically weak, we're spiritually weak, uh, Scripture still tells us to be strong. So I want you to listen to what Paul says about his own weakness, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 7, uh, and we're going to put that up on the screen. If you've never read 2 Corinthians, you should. Uh, it's, it's Paul's uh, letter that's really, you're like, of course you should, it's in the Bible, but you really should. It's, it's one of Paul's letters that's the most personal as he talks a lot of about the stuff going on in his own life. This is what he says in verse 7. We'll talk about it a little bit more. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have never heard a perspective on weakness like this outside of Scripture. I mean, that's, it's like he understands that weakness is difficult, yet there's this strange embrace of it. And so I, I want us to kind of go through this passage and think about this, you know, how he gets there. It seems like he understands that true strength comes through weakness. That's, that's the main thing I want to drive home for us is that true strength comes through weakness. Weakness is not an enemy to true strength. Weakness is not an obstacle to true strength for us. True strength, the kind of strength that we can have and possess in this life, it comes through weakness. Weakness is a means to us. I want to look at that. Uh, First thing I want to look at that has to do with that, I'm going to try to show you why I think that. The first thing is the weakness keeps us humble. That's one of the reasons that that true strength comes through weakness because weakness keeps us humble. Uh, People, human beings, we're naturally uh, pretty self-centered. We naturally think we're pretty amazing. You know how you're really good at seeing other people's flaws? You're like, yep, he don't dress good. He don't talk right, right? He need to get better at this and that. We are awful at seeing our own flaws. And it's because we're naturally pretty arrogant and proud and uh, proud and self-centered, right? And one of the things that uh, kind of makes that happen even more is when we get some stuff. When we get some stuff that's desirable or we do some stuff, anything impressive that we have, anything impressive that we've done, right? You know how you feel when you, um, you could just have just, you know, had a good day at work and you did your job well and you walk home with a whole new little swag. Like, I did that, right? You feel good about yourself, right? Or even something small. It could be stuff that don't even matter. Like when we went on our pastor's retreat and we played NBA 2K17 and I beat unnamed people by 40 or 30 points. You know, you just feel good about yourself. People will remain nameless. You know, there were three of them, though. So We just, we, we start to feel good about ourselves. We start to boast. We start to become arrogant and conceited. Well, before Paul says this about the thorn in the flesh in chapter 12, um, he starts to talk about And it's almost like he's afraid to talk about it because he talks about it in the third person. You know how when someone's like, hey, do you have any money you can loan? I'm asking for a friend. Paul kind of does that. He's like, I I know this guy, right, who who was caught up in this incredible revelation, and he talks about it. But by the time he gets to verse 7, he's talking about it in the present tense. And he's saying because of that, because of the great things that God had shown him, right, there was something else headed his way. I'll read it again, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh, some kind of ailment or weakness or trial that he calls a thorn in the flesh. Uh, We don't know exactly what it is. So so let's just say that from the jump. I mean, people uh, sometimes will guess. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, well, I think it was the kind of the beef he had with other teachers within the church, or these super apostles who opposed him, these other teachers coming around. Or people say, oh, you know, he does talk about having bad eyesight uh, at the end of, 
at the end of this letter, people are like, maybe it's that. We don't know for sure. Uh, I do think uh, it has something to do with some kind of physical ailment because he talks about a thorn in the flesh. But again, this could be something uh, metaphorical. So the thing that we do know is uh, it clearly wasn't important enough for us to know exactly what it is. Paul's not talking about this so that we can examine exactly what his affliction was. He's talking to us about it so that he can tell us how he navigated it, right? He's talking about it so we would know the way that God works in such things. And that's probably helpful for us sometimes that that it's more generic. And sometimes when it's specific, you're like, I know somebody who need to hear this word. I know somebody who this need to apply to. Uh, the good thing is this is going to skip right over that because he's so vague, you can't act like it just applies to your one friend who's in that situation. This is for all of us, right? All of us have some kind of weaknesses or afflictions or some kind of thorns in the flesh that, that this speaks directly to. So Paul says he has this thorn in the flesh, and he doesn't act like it just kind of appeared one day, right? He says uh, a thorn was given me in the flesh, right? He says it was given to him. Uh, he, he knows that this isn't something random. He knows there's some kind of purpose to it. It was, it was given to him. And I think it's a safe assumption for Paul to make because we live in a world that is under the control of a very intentional God. I, I wonder if you remember that our God is intentional. And, and that's a good thing to remember where so many of us feel like maybe things are spiraling out of control. We do have a God who's very intentional. He does things on purpose, and sometimes we know this in our minds, but then we have a bad week at work, or our kids are acting crazy, and we're like, man, just random stuff is happening, things that, Lord, can you kind of try to get this back under control? Uh, but, Christian, everything that happens in your life is part of an intricate plan by God for your good and for his glory. There's nothing that you can point to in your life that God is like, oh, my bad, I let that one get away. That's not, that's not how it works. All of it is part of this intricate plan, and God is sovereign over all of it. And that should be a comfort to us in difficult times, right? Paul says this was given to him. And here's the thing. When we think about something working for our good and for God's glory, we won't be able to redefine the way we think about weakness and trials if we think our good equals being happy every day all the time. We won't be able to get this. We have to shift the way we think about our good. We have to shift the way we think about strength. We have to shift the way we think about success. We have to th- shift the way we think about joy. Because if we think that God working everything for our good means that everything will always feel happy and be good, we are never going to be able to grasp this. If we're not able to step back and try to see things from God's perspective, the big picture, right, then our life is going to be extremely difficult. Do not assume that happy things are always good for you and hard things are always bad for you, right? God can use both for good and ultimately he will, right? But we have to respond to him in godly ways. So he says, this was given to me. But some of them may say, okay, well, but he mentioned Satan in the passage. So how do we know it's given to him by God? Is this something, is this going from Satan or is it from God? The answer is yes. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So to think that this is from both God and Satan, that doesn't make sense. If you see God and Satan as equal forces in a cosmic battle and we don't know who's going to win, that makes no sense. It has to be from one or the other, right? But if we understand that Satan is not God's equal adversary, but he's... um, He's God's adversary and he rebels against him. But at the end of the day, he has to answer to God and he's not able to do anything God doesn't give him permission to do. Then you could understand why it could be from both God and Satan. 
right? Right. The passage, Paul talks about it being both. Satan hates God, but he can't do anything God doesn't allow him to do. And God is so perfectly in control that he can use Satan's most heinous rebellion for his own purposes. He can use the very thing Satan intends most to hurt God's purposes. God can use them exactly for his purposes. God is unlimited in that way. So there can't be a thing where like, man, this is so bad. I don't think God can use this. God can use anything, even the death of his son for his good, right, for our good and for his glory. So it's a messenger of Satan in the sense that um, it's sent to harass. That's interesting wording, a messenger of Satan, something that Satan sent after him to harass him, right, to bother him. And that's Satan's goal there. Satan wants to harass him. Satan just wants... Uh, Paul to to uh, be afflicted. He just wants Paul to be weak. But God has different purposes in that. So Satan sends it out like his hitman to destroy us, to harass us, to cause us pain and grief. But God has his own purposes. Paul says uh, it was to keep him from becoming conceited. Now we know Paul, uh, Satan is not concerned with your humility. Satan would love you to be conceited, right? If you think Satan is concerned with Paul's holiness, I don't think you understand who Satan is. When he talks about this being so he won't be conceited, he's saying this is God's intention uh, for this. Satan would love it if if our weaknesses, right, if they caused us uh, not to endure, or if the weaknesses, stuff that we go through, makes us think that God has forgotten about us and he doesn't care. That's what Satan would love for us to think in times when we're going through hard stuff, right? That's one way Satan would love to harass us, so that we say, God, I don't think you care about me anymore. This passage right here is a reminder that weakness does not mean that God has forgotten about you. Weakness does not mean that God has stopped working in your life. Weakness isn't even a detour in where God has taken you in your life. Weakness is part of what God is using to take you there. Right? This is how God works. And in this case, God is working in Paul to keep him from becoming conceited. So there are going to be some weaknesses sometimes in our life that don't bother us that much. Like uh, when I was a kid and I got sick and I was like, Mom, I'm sick. I can't go to school. I can't go to school today, Mom. I just got to stay home. Or some of y'all be calling in sick from work. Use all your sick days in the first week of the year. There's some weaknesses that don't bother us that much. There are other weaknesses that bother us a lot. Right? I, I know people, even as I'm just looking over this room, who have a significant health problems. I know people, even I'm looking over this room, who who have lost family members in the last year or two. I know people, as I'm looking over this room, who are wrestling with their job, who are wrestling with their marriages, who who are wrestling with their emotional states, right? There there are weaknesses that really do bother us, right? And that really are really hard. And in those times, we can't assume that God has forgotten about us or turned our back on us. But remember that God has good purposes even for our weaknesses and even our trials. And here's the thing, that sometimes we feel so beat down by weakness that we feel like we don't have any energy to pursue God, right? We feel like we don't have enough to kind of go after him, and it, and it makes us just kind of want to give up. We're numb, we don't care about anything. I want you to know that's part of the goal of Satan's harassment of you to discourage you and to make you stop following God. But God's purpose is for it's to strengthen you and bring you back to himself. And here's the thing, Satan is just being used. You know, people don't like to be used. Um, you remember like uh, like uh, these 90s teen romantic comedies uh, where uh, like the cool guys would like make a bet. Like, I bet you won't take her out. I'll give you a million dollars. He'd be like, all right. 
And, you know, him and the girls are hanging out, and she's like, oh, my gosh, she likes me. And the whole time she thinks it's about their relationship, she's being tricked, and then she finds out at the end she was just being used for some other purpose. This is like Satan. The whole time as he harasses us, he really wants to harass you, right? But God is so sovereign that no matter what he does, Satan is just being used as a pawn, right? There's nothing that Satan can do that can override what God is doing. God is sovereign in control of all things, and he uses even our weakest moments to strengthen us. Pride ignores facts. Pride assumes we're right. Pride assumes we're strong. God wants to give us real strength by showing us our weakness and keeping us humble. That's the first part. Weakness keeps us humble. Number two, weakness makes us dependent. Weakness makes us dependent. You know, you only ask for help when you need it, right? You don't, uh, you're not driving in a car and you don't call AAA like, hey, guys, I just want you to know my drive is going well. <laughs> no accidents yet. My tires are good. Just wanted to check in. All right. Have a good day. You don't do that. You don't call the cops like, hey, a guy walked by. I thought he was going to break in, but he didn't. Um, I just wanted you to know that. That's not how that works. You don't do that. You know when else you don't call uh, AAA? You don't call AAA uh, if your car is about to break down, but you don't know it, right? Or, or if you're in need and you don't know it. You, you don't call the cops if someone's breaking into your house, but you haven't figured it out yet. You don't call the cops then either. So we don't call out for help unless, one, we need it, and two, we know we need it, right? And there are plenty of times when we need help, but we don't know we need it because we're proud, right? This is part of why... Uh, Paul would say God gave him the story in the flesh to keep him from becoming conceited. Here's the thing that happens with strength. Um, we, we fool ourselves into thinking we can take care of everything on our own. When we're strong and everything is going well, like if, uh, like if things are going good at your job and nothing bad happens, again, you start feeling good about yourself and you're like, I got this. Start praying a little less, asking for help a little less, right? And what God will do to make us dependent it's not like he'll make us weak when we were perfectly strong. He'll do things to expose our weakness so that we'll be dependent. Listen to verse 8. Paul says this. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The way that God responds to Paul, again, doesn't treat weakness like it an obstacle to strength, but he treats it like true strength happens through weakness. Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord about this three times. So he says three times. That's one of the ways that we know this was something that was significant. This was something that was ongoing. This wasn't like he had a bad day one time. He was like, God, this dude is tripping. Can you just help me not to fight him right now? He said, no, I pleaded with the Lord three times. And I think he says three times. I don't know if that's an exact number of times that he talked to God about this. I think what he's trying to communicate is this is an ongoing thing. It bothers me enough that I've had to go to the Lord about it many times. And we're talking about Paul. For Paul to plead with the Lord three times, this is the same dude who was stoned, shipwrecked, left for dead, thrown in jail many times. I mean, this has to be some kind of significant trial that he calls out to God about. I think it's interesting that he responds by pleading with the Lord because most of us, when we have weaknesses, we have trials, the only thing we ever do is complain and vent to our friends. Right? 
sometimes when bad things happen, we feel like it just makes us feel better to just call somebody and to say, man, can I just tell you uh, everything sucks right now? This dude is tripping. She tripping. This person tripping. There's nothing wrong necessarily with venting and complaining. But if the only thing you ever do is vent and complain, I just want you to know that doesn't work towards anything good happening. That doesn't help. Merely venting usually accomplishes Nothing. Maybe it makes you feel a little bit better in a second. It doesn't do anything about the situation. It doesn't move you towards contentment in the situation. Now, if you have a conversation and you're asking for counsel, that's different. Right? If you are pouring your complaints out before the Lord, that's different. Venting and complaining, that, that, that doesn't do much. Uh, what Paul is doing is he's not just venting. And sometimes we think of prayer that way, like it's just venting, but we're just closing our eyes and doing it. That's not what Paul says. He, he doesn't say, I vented to my friends, and then I closed my eyes, and I vented some more. He says, I pleaded with the Lord, right? He allowed that weakness to push him to go before the one who could do something about it and ask him to do something about it, which seems like a good response, right? I mean, when people intro that culture belay because they're the people who can come fix this situation. They don't just call their friend like, man, my tire's flat. Can you believe that? That will do nothing for you right now, bro. They're like, what is that going to do unless they can come help you? And Paul is saying, in this weakness, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it should leave me. And here's the thing. Often we're not going to go before God and plead with God about anything until we're really deeply aware of our need. In times of strength, we think we have it all together. And here's the thing. I... There can be times when we've been ignoring God and then something bad happens. And then we feel like we have to go before him. I mean, there are those times when you feel your need in an intense way. And it's been shown to you, there's literally nothing I can do about this situation. Right? I had this happen to me recently where, where I just felt like in a, in a fresh way for some reason in this particular moment, there was something that I had to do and I, could, I had no idea what I could possibly do about it. And I felt my need in a very intense way. God, I need you right now to help right? Um, and sometimes if we've been ignoring God and we get to that moment where, where we do cry out to him, because hard times make people pray and think about God, right? Um, if you've already been ignoring God and then that time comes up, you may feel guilty about going before God in that moment. Here's my encouragement to you. Um, uh, it is bad that we ignore God before a difficult situation. But the wrong way to respond in a difficult situation is to say, well, I ain't been crying out to him at all, so I'm not going to do it now either. You can't do anything about what already happened. That's already happened. But part of the reason that God sends us weaknesses and trials is to push us to himself. Right? So don't ignore that that may be the very reason God gave you that. You've been ignoring me because you thought you didn't need me. I've shown you that you need me. Turn back to me. Right? Don't let guilt keep you from throwing yourself at the mercy of Jesus. He's merciful. He erases guilt. He paid for guilt, right? Paul is saying three times I pleaded with the Lord, and we want to do the same thing. Uh, And sometimes when we plead with the Lord, he doesn't always answer the way we want him to. Uh, That's something that discourages us from uh, from trusting God. You know, often uh, people be like, I heard that God answers prayers. Something happened. I asked God to do something about it, and he didn't. I don't believe this God. Uh, assuming that if you think it's good, it must be good and God must do it. Listen to what what Paul does, though. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is how God uh, replies to Paul 
He says no. He doesn't give him what he's asked for. And as Paul writes this, he's not writing us saying, here's a guy who pretends he answers prayers. What Paul is writing is he's saying, well, here's what God actually said. And this is what it means for how I think about strength. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In a sense, this is God's answer to us every time he doesn't answer our prayers with a yes. My grace is sufficient for you. God, I would really love a better job. My grace is sufficient for you. God, I would really love my marriage to get better right now. My grace is sufficient for you. God, I have great needs. My grace is sufficient for you. Um, God delights to give us good things. And he's perfectly wise in understanding when he should withhold them. He's perfectly wise in understanding when he should allow us to feel our weakness in unique ways. And for Paul here, he's saying he's letting him do that so that Paul will understand that God's grace is enough for him. And that sounds like a real um, Christian-y way to dismiss somebody's issues. Hey, man, I'm struggling. Can you help me out? I got to eat. God's grace is sufficient for you, brother. Right. That's what that can feel like. So what does it mean that God's grace is sufficient for him? What does it mean that what God has for him is enough? Well, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my powers made perfect in weakness. What, he, what he's saying to Paul, what he means by his powers made perfect in weakness, and this is why his grace is sufficient, is that Paul's weakness, right, makes space for his power to be displayed. He's not saying his power is imperfect and it's until we're weak that his power can really be perfected, like he's siphoning some kind of strength from us, or he took it from us so he could have it for himself. His strength being made perfect in weakness It's not that his actual strength gets better, but the display of his strength is clearer. Our perception of his strength, right? As long as we think we're strong, we don't think we need God's strength, and God doesn't need to show up, right? As long as you think, right, all your bills are being perfectly paid for, right? There are times when sometimes our bills don't get paid on time like we should, and then somebody randomly, this happened to my grandfather, who's 90 years old, uh, his wife, um, there was a, a, a health uh, care issue. He had to give her $200. He had no money. But he was like, I'm going to just give $200. And the next day, uh, he happens to talk to my mom, and she sent him a check for his birthday for exactly $200. What that did for him, it doesn't always happen that way. Uh, I'd like it if it did, but it doesn't always happen that way. But what that did for him is he said, God is looking out for me. I cannot make sure I always have exactly the amount I want in my bank account. But this showed me. God's strength. It showed me my weakness, and it displayed God's strength in a unique way. Um, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Um, oh, okay. Um, uh, I'm a Cowboys fan. And uh, Tony Romo, uh, if, you, if I see anybody else with thumbs down, you're excommunicated. Tony Romo uh, has been a Cowboys quarterback for a while. And um, I've been a Romo defender. He's a great regular season quarterback. But when we get to the playoffs... If we get to the playoffs, uh, good things don't always happen. And um, uh, this season, he got hurt in preseason. So I was like, here you go again. He's fragile. Um, and so we had his rookie quarterback, Dak Prescott. And I'm like, oh, is this dude, you know. And then the first game goes, well, I'm like, oh, okay, he's all right. And then he plays amazing. And they're 8-1 uh, and one or 7-1 and one right now. Um, and everybody's like, 
if Roma wouldn't have gotten hurt, then we would have had no idea, right? So this isn't to say that Dak Prescott couldn't have been great sitting on the sidelines, right? But if Romo's weakness hadn't been shown, if he hadn't been taken out of the game, we would have had no idea, right? We're relying on the other guy. And as long as you seem in your own strength to be able to take care of yourself, it's not to say that God's power isn't incredible. It's just you would have no idea about it. What happened when Romo got hurt is it gave the opportunity for Dak Prescott's greatness to show up, right? It was a platform for his greatness to be shown because he had to step into the situation and save the day. And often God is allowing us to be weak so that he can step into the situation and save the day, not out of some kind of arrogant self-centeredness, but because he is the one who always saves the day. All God is doing is he's saying, you think you're doing this yourself. Let me just remind you, this is me. That's not you. This is me. It's been me the whole time. And that's what happens when God allows us to sit in our weakness. And this is what he means when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. He's saying your strength may be failing, but mine never, ever will. Right. And my strength uh, is the strength that you really need at the end of the day. Right. God's strength that that that's the true strength that we want to be looking for. Our weakness doesn't cripple God. It unleashes him. Right. It gives him an opportunity to show up in powerful ways. Our weakness is a platform uh, for his strength to be shown off. One of the things about weakness that we don't like is it shows we're not in control. And when we don't feel like we're in control, it really bothers us. When we think, I know what the best thing to happen is, and that's not what happened, that bothers us deeply. One of the ways we see that is this week, as everyone was shocked when most people were shocked when Donald Trump uh, won the presidential election. And so now uh, so many people are just kind of collectively uh, freaking out uh, because, um, you know, th- there's a lot of things that people are afraid of. There's a lot of things that people are nervous about. And I think that many of those fears are warranted, right? As I say, the other major party candidate uh, would have been my first choice for president. But there are a lot of things that people are afraid of, right? Um, and, and something that I don't like is when people say, hey, you know what? Don't worry about none of that because God's in control, right? Again, we don't want to use God as in control as a way to say, shut up. That's how we do sometimes, right? Like, like things don't actually have consequences, right? And there are a lot of people. So, so here's, here's where we are. Uh, there are a lot of people who thought that Donald Trump would be our best president. There are a lot of people who thought Hillary Clinton would be our best president. So either way, no matter what was going to happen, there was going to be a collective freakout that occurred. And either way, no matter who won, uh, the thing that we do know as believers Uh, is that God's control does not depend on who's the president of the United States, right? God's strength, God's strength is not crippled by a bad president, and God's strength isn't dependent on a good president, especially not just whoever you think would be the best president, right? God is not crippled by what human beings do. So just like your weakness doesn't push God's strength out of the way, right? Just like your strength doesn't display God's strength, whoever's in the White House doesn't in any way mess up what God is planning to do. Right. So that's not to say, again, that there are no consequences depending on who's there. But it does mean that for us, we understand that the strength that matters most is not the strength of the American presidency, but the strength of the Lord Jesus who's on the throne. And we have brothers and sisters who are in all different kinds of places. Right. Um, Who are following Jesus just fine in places much worse than us. And what we have in common with them is not political views, but the Lord Jesus who's on the throne. Right. So this should lead us again right, to rejoice in God's strength over ours. 
And where there are things that we would be disappointed about that we don't want to see happen, then that can give us some marching orders. If we think there's some people around us who may be marginalized, that gives us an opportunity to love our neighbors in even harder and stronger ways. Where we think that there, there's evil that's pointed out within it, we, we have an opportunity to point out evil and point to what God would say. It doesn't change our ability to follow Jesus, and it doesn't change who's sovereign over all things, right? Satan can't stop Jesus, so definitely a president can't stop Jesus, right? Uh, and, and that should make us want to rejoice in God's strength. Last, last note real quick. This is a side note. has nothing to do with the sermon in particular. I said this last week. I want to say this again. I do not want a presidential election to divide us uh, as a body of believers. So if, if there's somebody who voted differently than you or says something different than what, than what you think should have happened, um, our unity is in Jesus, and we can disagree about those things, and we can even have conversations. So you can try to persuade someone that maybe you think it would honor Jesus more if they did this or that, or, or you can try to show them your point. You can have conversations. But what we don't want to do is assume that if someone made a different choice than you in a voting booth, it must mean they're not believers or they don't love Jesus. We cannot assume that they chose to use their vote exactly like you did. And so, so what we don't want to do is think everyone who voted for Hillary Clinton is Hillary Clinton, and they are exactly like her in all her views. Or everybody who voted for Trump is Donald Trump and agree with him in all his views. What would be much more healthy is us to hold on to our unity in Jesus, right, to have conversations about those things that we disagree with, even try to persuade each other where we disagree. But that cannot be a reason to kick people out of the body of Christ because we disagree on that. Amen? Okay. Let's, let's keep going. Last, last point. And I, I'll have a lot more to say about that when we all calm down. Um, three. Yeah, I just... This, everybody's real emotional right now. So everybody can be like, why are you supporting Hillary? I'm like, I'm not. Why you support you? I'm not. Just... So when we all calm down, I'll say more. Last point, weakness makes us strong. And I, I think this is the, just kind of the climax of the passage. Um, when, when people go through hard times, and any of us who've been through trials know this, uh, people don't really know what to say. So sometimes they just say words that don't mean anything, just kind of meaningless phrases. Chin up. What does that even mean? It's just, uh, you know, it'll get better. Cheer up. It's like that. First of all, you don't know, you don't even know that it'll get better. You're just saying stuff, right? And and one of the meaningless phrases that'll get thrown around sometimes is, you know, whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger. It's like, maybe, right? Um, there was a, a, a atheist author named uh, Christopher Hitchens, and he, uh, during his bout with, with cancer, he died of cancer a few years ago. And during that, he, he wrote about people saying this to him. And uh, here's what he says. He says, um... In particular, I've slightly stopped using the announcement that whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. He goes on to say this. In this brute physical world, there are all too many things that could kill you, don't kill you, and then leave you considerably weaker. And this is as a man who's struggling with cancer. And he's saying, that doesn't ring true. My body's deteriorating. It hasn't killed me yet. But I'm certainly not stronger than I was as he struggles to do his job and, and tries to push through. And so while I disagree with him on a great many things, on this, I, I think he's being honest. Uh, that, that's just an empty phrase, and it means nothing unless what doesn't kill us makes us stronger doesn't make any sense unless our temporary trials have some kind of eternal meaning. If we assume that uh, whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger in this life, that's just not true, right? That's like me saying whatever doesn't total my car makes it stronger. No, that's not true. You can get hit and it just don't work, but it ain't total. Like, that's not true. 
unless, again, there's something about these temporary trials in this life that have some kind of eternal significance. Unless it's true that Paul says all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right? So in what way can devastating trials actually make us stronger? Into verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So there is a sense in which our weakness can lead to strength. But it has to happen in connection to the power of Jesus. When you're following Jesus, your weakness is not a liability. Your weakness is not an obstacle to God's power in your life. Your weakness is a way for God to show his power in your life. And so Paul can be content with weaknesses because God's power shows up. If we don't love God's grace and power and glory showing up, we will never learn to be content with weaknesses. Paul says, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. He doesn't just say, I tolerate these issues. I don't just tolerate the thorn in the flesh. I boast about them. I'm content in them. And just in case we thought we could uh, exclude some stuff, he mentions stuff. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. He goes through this list that could probably catch any and everything that all of us are wrestling with today. And Paul is saying we should be content in those things because it's when we're weak. That we're strong. It's when we're weak that the power of God shows up. Now, one a beautiful thing in Scripture is the Lord doesn't just give us strength. He does give us strength. The Lord is our strength. Right? The Habakkuk 3 passage says, Though the fig tree shouldn't blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Goes on and on. Everything depressing they could think of for people in that time. Flock cut off from the fold. No herd in the stalls. Verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Psalm 28, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults with my song. I give thanks to him. Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This means God doesn't only give us strength so we can stand. God is the strength that makes us stand. Right. So like when my kids are like, Daddy, I want to fly, I pick them up and I spin them around. I'm not giving them strength to fly. I am literally the one holding them up as they fly. God is not just giving you strength to withstand whatever kind of trials you're going through. God literally is the strength that is making you stand. God is the one that's holding your legs up, that's holding you up, that's allowing you to persevere through stuff. So when you when you any time in your life as a believer in Jesus, when you persevere through hard relationships, God was your strength. The fact that you're still following Jesus through a bunch of hard stuff, that means God was your strength. Right? When you fought to rejoice in Jesus despite depression, God was your strength. Moving forward, as you struggle with marital issues, remember God is your strength in that situation, not you. As you fight to hold on to Jesus through doubt, God is your strength in those situations. Put anything in the beginning of that, God is your strength. So that means that any and everything can be taken away from us, but they cannot take our strength, right? So, so that allows us to not act like people can show up and treat us a certain way and snatch the things that are most important from us. Nobody can snatch my strength, right? Nobody can snatch the grace that's poured out from Jesus himself. And this is one of the beautiful things about being a believer in Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me tell you one of my favorite things about being a Christian. Because my Lord defeated death itself, there's literally nothing in this life that threatens the most important things about my life, right? 
you can literally kill me and that will only send me to Jesus quicker. You can literally take everything from me. The Lord is still my strength. You can literally take everything I've ever seen and the most important realities that I'm in Christ, that I'm known by God and he'll pour out grace on my head for an eternity. You cannot touch that. And here's the thing. That's not something that's exclusive to me or people in this room or nice people or white people or black people or Asian people or any kind of people you can think of. That's something that's available to all people because of what Christ did on the cross, right? Because he purchased that for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just being persecuted. He wasn't just being a martyr. He was literally purchasing the things that I'm speaking of. He was paying for our sins. We're all sinners. We need to be forgiven of those sins and we'll be judged by God. Jesus paid for them and he purchased eternal life for us. He purchased eternal joy for us. He purchased eternal happiness for us. He gave us a relationship with God. He he removed our sin. And that's available to any and everybody even right now. You can know this Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, You want to know how you can know this Jesus who gives you such strong realities of relationship with him that nobody can snatch away? Come talk to us after the service. We want you to know this Jesus. He's good. He's very good to us. So I I, I just want to remind you uh, as we finish up that uh, weakness is not an obstacle to true strength. True strength comes through weakness, right? And it's not about waiting for a time when we will actually be weak All of us are weak right now. This is the thing. So when difficult things happen, all that's happening is God is exposing our weakness in a new way. So I want to encourage those of us who are very aware of our weakness right now, right, to run to God and to cling to him. I want to encourage those of us who feel pretty strong right now, run to God and cling to him, right, because he is our strength. This is the last thing I'll say. This is why a truth like this hits home with me so much because I, I, I think I slept on for most of my life um, how much I had depended on my own, even physical strength, until the Lord took it away from me. The, uh, I, I have an illness, chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, most of y'all know that. And I, I can't depend on my own strength, literally. I can't say, hey, I'll do this tomorrow at this time and depend on the fact that my body will cooperate. I can't do that. My body often doesn't. And what that's done for me uh, is it's reminded me that my hope, my joy, my strength does not depend on my ability to even do what I plan to do. It depends on God himself. You can take whatever you want from me, right? For me and for those in Christ, true strength comes through weakness. It's not an obstacle to it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you so much for, for your word, Lord, and we, and we thank you for comforting us in your word and teaching us in your word and speaking to us so uh, graciously, Father, and authoritatively. Uh, God, and we pray, uh, yeah, God, that you would give us strength, even as we sing this last song, the glory in your strength, to boast in your strength, Father, not to see our weakness uh, as an enemy, Lord, uh, Father, but to see it as a thing that helps us to see you. Uh, God, we pray you would show yourself off in our lives, pray you show yourself off in our church, God. Uh, And and I pray that anybody who doesn't know Jesus, that hasn't been acquainted with this great strength uh, from you, Father, you'd, you'd introduce them to him, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.